I'm Erin. I'm Sarah. I'm Megan. And this is the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. You could write about something in science fiction. So I dreamed up the Star Trek idea so that I could comment on man and society. The whole show was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but to take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. You know the greatest danger facing us is ourselves and a rational fear of the unknown. There's no such thing as the unknown. Only things temporarily hidden, temporarily not understood. Open your mind to the past, art, history, philosophy, and all this may mean something. There comes a time in every man's life when he must stop thinking and start doing. Fear only exists for one purpose, to be conquered. We're going to stumble, make mistakes, I'm sure, more than a few before we find our footing. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. The heart of real science fiction is stories about people and ideas. Because it says it's not all over, it's not going to go up in smoke, we're going to make it. Because it says the human adventure has just begun. everybody and welcome to episode 43 of Tribbles and Transporters. We're your three Trekkie gals who grew up in the 90s and fell in love with Star Trek for a lot of the reasons that you just heard. And even though we consider ourselves Trekkies, there's a lot of Star Trek that we have never seen before, which is why we're cycling through all the episodes of the completed series and we're learning about a lot of the cool behind the scenes stuff as we go. And we're also talking about our reactions to the episodes that we watch. Along with that, we'll be tackling topics within the Star Trek universe and occasionally do an interview with a guest. Today's episode is all about Time and Again from Voyager. And if you're listening to us for the first time, we want to let you know very quickly who we are. My name is Sarah, and I've been a TNG fan ever since I was a kid, and I have seen a little bit of Deep Space Nine, of even less of Voyager and even less of Enterprise. So this was my first time seeing this episode today. And my name is Erin. I am the resident Voyager fan on the podcast. So this episode was very familiar to me. It's actually one that I remember very fondly. And I enjoyed going back over it for this uh, podcast. I have been a Star Trek fans since I was a kid, just like Sarah, uh, have seen some of the original series, um, probably all of TNG, all of Deep Space Nine, most if not all of Voyager, and very little of uh, Enterprise, actually really only what we've watched for the podcast. So uh, I'm really enjoying getting into some new episodes. And my name is Megan, and I am the resident Deep Space Nine fan. Um, I've seen uh, probably more of TOS than I thought I've seen, um, especially in reviewing episodes for this podcast. Um, I've seen all of Next Generation, almost all of Voyager, and the first two seasons of Enterprise. So um, this has been a fun uh, experience for me going back and watching these episodes to review for you guys. So um, I'm excited to have watched this episode of Voyager. It's been a really long time since I'd seen it and I enjoyed 
this episode the first time I saw it and again reviewing it for the podcast. Oh man, I forgot to mention TOS, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry, TOS fans. <laughs> um, I've seen a handful of TOS episodes, so even though uh, I know all the characters and stuff, but don't know the show super well. So there you go, just in case you wanted to know that. So before we continue with this episode, I'm going to give you just a really quick breakdown of what to expect. We are going to jump into our music challenge next, followed by the uh, recap of Time and Again. For those of you who may have forgot what it's about or haven't seen it in a while, maybe never seen it at all. Then we're going to do our quick what did you think segment where we give you kind of our first little impressions of Time and Again. Then we're going to do our quiz where we quiz each other on the episode to see which one of us was paying the closest attention while watching. Then we'll do some behind-the-scenes stuff, give you some trivia while we do the uh, episode discussion, and then we'll get to your listener feedback. But first, as always, we get into our music challenge now. So if you're listening for the first time, the music challenge is where I pick a piece of random music from somewhere in Star Trek, and Aaron and Megan have to guess where it came from. And this is just our little homage that we pay to Star Trek music because we love it so much. For some reason, I think this was not going to be too super challenging for you this week. (laughs) I really don't. (laughs) Okay. I really don't. (laughs) I really don't. Okay. Here we go. I hope you have this one. <laughs> I was just about to say, I really hope you've got this, Megan. What? <laughs> you guys can't be serious. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> such high hopes. Uh, yeah. You, you, you set us up there <laughs> without knowing I, it. No, I, I'm actually really surprised. I, I thought you guys would get like, know it right away. Okay. No. <sighs> um, I think it comes from a movie. Um, okay. But I don't know which one. Um, <laughs> well, that's painfully obvious right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll go ahead and put my guess out there. It's probably going to be way off, but it's the only thing I can come up with. And I'm going to say not from a movie. Um, for some reason, it's giving me almost like a, a film noir kind of feel. And the only thing I can think of that fitting is like Picard's uh, Dixon Hill holodeck program. So I'm probably way off, but that's my guess. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't be further from it, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised. Film noir, huh? That, I don't think I would have uh, gone there with that one. All right, well, I'm just going to be merciful with you guys on this one. <laughs> Megan's a lot closer. Okay. It's almost like I can... I see, like, Captain Picard in my head on this. So did I, but I was very clearly wrong. <laughs> but if it's in a movie, then I do have movie options with him in it. Mm-hmm. So so what about this reminds you of Captain Picard? I don't know. It's just the, the image that I get in hearing this. Um, 
like a flash of a scene and like I can't it's one of those like I can't even grasp what the memory actually is. Does it even have Picard in it? I mean, is am I that am I <laughs> too far off? <laughs> yes, you're you are way far off. Oh, it, great. it has nothing to do with Captain Picard. The other thing that kind of comes to mind is maybe at the end of Search for Spock when they're going to the Vulcan ceremony to put his Katra back in his body. It could fit there. Wow, Aaron, I'm impressed. You got it. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, that could work. <laughs> yeah, wow. I, I actually had to listen to it again, and I was like, mm, yeah, that could work. <laughs> yeah, oh. actually, um, it's just, I, the, the track is returning to Vulcan from the search for Spock. So I'm assuming that's what that is. Um, I don't remember anything from the movie. So (laughs) I'm just going to take you at your word that that's probably what that is. Well, at least I, you know, somewhat recovered from my completely off base guess. All right, Megan. So Aaron got the music challenge. That means you have to win the quiz today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I only lost by half a point last time. (laughs) A devastating explosion in the vicinity draws the Voyager crew to an M-class planet newly devoid of all life. While investigating on the surface, Janeway and Paris fall through a subspace fracture, whereby a temporal flux sends them back one day before the explosion. As the senior officers struggle to find a way to retrieve them, and Janeway and Paris struggle to observe the prime directive of non-interference, Cass experiences a psychic vision of the explosion and the lives it took. The trigger of the explosion comes as a surprise. So, what did you guys think of the episode? Well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Well, for me, this is the first time watching this. I finally, I've seen pictures of them in these outfits before. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand what they were wearing. And uh, so now I totally get it. So I thought the plot was kind of one of those recycled Star Trek plots to a certain extent where, you know, you have the prime directive and then you have like some sort of subspace time shift thing. You know, it seems like uh, every series has at least one or two episodes that are kind of do that. I know TNG did several. Um, This did have some unique points to it, though that we'll talk about in the discussion that kind of did separate it a little bit. I will say this, though. uh, With the more I watch Voyager, the more I'm understanding, Aaron, why you like it so much. Mm. Because it does have really that kind of close-knit family feel that we don't quite have on the other shows. And also with uh, Janeway, the more I see her the more I'm getting that she's a very like hands-on scientist in addition to being a captain. So I totally get those two things that you really like about this show. Yeah, for me, it was fun to watch this episode again. I hadn't seen it in a long time. And I really liked this episode. I thought it was a good um, episode to watch Janeway's interaction with Paris. Um, that you sort of, I think, still in this episode see um that the potential uh, potential of them becoming a relationship in the show um at that point was still in existence and maybe not totally written out yet 
But like, it was just good to see them interacting together, being on this planet that they know is going to uh, be destroyed soon. And the moral dilemma of being there and not warning, being able to warn anybody from it. And then you've got this kid that's swallowing you around everywhere and uh, trouble on its own on the planet. Plus with the people on Voyager and their interactions with each other, you can see that the crew is maybe sort of settling in to you all working together. But I mean, I just, it was a good episode. Yeah. I've said a couple of times that when I go back to watch through Voyager, I tend to start at the beginning and then work my way through kind of binge watching it. And so I know the first couple of seasons fairly well. And this is always an episode that stands out to me as something I enjoy. Now, I think it's partly because I do like the costumes in it. I like the the color, all the color palette that they used and everything in that. Um, I mean, yes, it is kind of a classic Star Trek plot. It does have some elements in it that are very recognizable. And if you really analyze it, you could probably figure out how it's going to go before you even watch the episode. But I, I just enjoy it for introducing the characters. And like Megan said, you see them kind of settling into their roles and figuring out how they all work together. So it is one of my more favorite episodes. All right. So with that, uh, we are going to go into our quiz section. Can't you pay attention? Write down all those star dates. No more than a listen. Which of the hosts knows more about the show? This is where we ask each other five questions uh, from the episode and see which of us was paying the closest attention when we were watching. We have been keeping track of which one of us has been winning the, the quizzes as we go along. And so far, I have the most wins with seven, although last time I just barely had half a point over Megan. Uh, <laughs> and then Sarah has three wins and Megan has four. At the end of the quiz, we will also have a listener question that is going to get posted on our social media and we will have a multiple choice answer on there. And if you guys want to answer that question, we will actually be reading out who got the correct answers. So you can listen for that. We are going to use a old fashioned die to figure out who gets to go first. And I am going to roll for that now. All right, Sarah, you get to go first. <laughs> I'm honestly rolling a die. I'm using the same number assignments. <laughs> I cannot make this up, all right? <laughs> okay, here we go. Question number one. What color is the wall behind Kessa's bed? Hmm. <laughs> man <laughs> gray yeah <laughs> I think I was paying more attention to the color of the blanket or something but yeah gray is the only thing I can come up with okay it was actually purple dang it 
that was the color I was thinking the blanket was. <laughs> uh, well, it was, and so were her pajamas. <laughs> I almost guessed purple. Man. Uh, apparently, Kess likes purple. So, mm. Okay. Down on the planet, when Tom Paris goes to look at the timepiece in the store window, we cut to a close-up of that timepiece. What is one of the objects that's sitting behind it in the store window? I was so focused on writing down the numbers, I didn't look yeah, behind it. <laughs> well, the numbers are the obvious thing, so that's why I yeah. didn't ask about that. Exactly. I just remember seeing like a tapestry piece of cloth yeah, and I'm- some kind of weird f- floral arrangement, <laughs> but I'm not even sure if that's right. I'm almost seeing like, I think there was something leather. It was either a book or a bag. So I'm going to go with a bag. Okay. Uh, neither of you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> Those things may have been in the case, but not in that particular shot where they do the, do uh, the uh, close-up of it, where we see kind of close behind the uh, timepiece. I guess you could extract three things behind it. There looks like a couple of necklaces, and then there's also like a uh, green gemstone type thing hmm. behind it as well. Okay, I'm going to do an easier one here. <laughs> in Sick Bay. What does the doctor prescribe for Kess to do? Like, how does he want her to treat her issue? Um, get rest and drink plenty of fluids. Yes, definitely plenty of fluids. Is that all? That's all that I remember. Okay, (laughs) just (laughs) checking to make sure that's all you had. (laughs) Megan, I will give you a half point on that because he instructed her to go home, get a good night's sleep, and drink plenty of fluids. So I'll give each of you half a point since you kind of got part of it. <laughs> I mean, I'll take a half a point. Well, seeing All as right. we're not on the board yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Question number four. When they are in the power plant... And Janeway is chasing him through that kind of tunnel where they're doing their work. We see that there are some metal pipes going along the top of the corridor. How many are there? Mm. Apparently, I didn't watch this episode closely enough this time. (laughs) See, I was looking at the other pipes that had colors on them. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, I'm going to guess five. I'll guess two. Oh, the correct answer is three. Ah, so close. (laughs) All right, well, I had another question about those pipes, but I guess it's pointless to ask that now. Um, Last question, it's a bit easier. What color is the top section of Latika's shirt? Hmm, I have that written down. Wow, really? Okay. Yes. I do not. Um, (laughs) Orange? It is orange. We must see colors differently because I have red. Or maybe my screen's calibrated differently. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's orange. Um, Because the, the bottom one I called rust. Hold up. I have to double check this. Hang on. Yeah, I'm, I'm bringing it up. Yeah, I would call that orange. It looks orange to me. All right. You know what? I'll give it to you. It kind of does look orange in the sunlight. <laughs> 
Okay. When I wrote that question down, he was inside, and so I guess it was darker, and so it looks more red to me. Mm. But, okay. I'll give it to you. You guys get a point for that. Yay! Alright, was that, was that five? You said that was your last question, so I'm assuming okay. so. Alright, I had mercy on you because I had some really hard ones <laughs> you decided not to do. Good grief, you had more hard ones than that? Yes. <laughs> Man. Mine are going to be so easy in comparison, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where mine will sit, but we shall see. Um, I'm almost scared to roll this die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Megan, you go next. And that is all honest to goodness. Yay! All right. <laughs> Y'all are probably going to get every single one of these. So, uh, question number one. The, when the away team um, beams down to the surface, Blana Torres reports that something specific happened to the planet of the surface. What happened? The only thing I can think of is she meant, I'm pretty sure she's the one who mentions that everything that was organic was, you know, vaporized. I don't have a good answer for this one. Um, I don't know if that was her that said that. I mean, she hmm. did, well, yeah, she was. She did say that, I think, but that was not the answer I was looking for. Okay. Um, so she said something before that in her further description and talked about how everything was that way. So I'm not quite sure how to grade you because you got what she later <laughs> said, right? But didn't get well, what I was like, looking for. You, you said a specific, you said yeah. she specifically said something. So, yeah, so if it wasn't what you were looking for. It was not. So y'all didn't get it right. So she said that the entire service of the planet had been seared ah uh, yes i do remember that question number two on the timepiece on the planet what do the three segments of the time stand for i have this one written down i just remember rotations or something like that it's the first one rotations intervals and fractions that is oh, yeah. correct can i get half be a point for rotations sure i'll give you half a point <laughs> okay. uh question number three so on the planet, uh, Tom and Captain Janeway go to the power plant and they're there as a protest is going on. Over which eye was Janeway struck? I think it was her left eye. Yes, left. Yes. You each get a point. Yay. Aaron's already pulling ahead here. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I get to ask questions next, which means I won't get any more points after Megan's questions. So, uh, Let's see. Question number four. Uh, at the beginning of the episode, Tom Paris is telling his relief um, different things that are going on with the ship, and he gives a specific amount of time before Voyager is going to pass a red dwarf system. What was that time? I have that written down. I think it was two something, but I can't remember. Was it two hours? I have 40 minutes. Okay. It was 40 minutes. Yeah. Aaron's right. Okay. Well, let's see. And for question five, my last question. What record did Paris tell the Delaney sisters that Harry had broke? I have that written down as well. It was some sort of flight record, but I don't remember specifically what it was. Aaron? was the single pilot speed record at the Academy. That is correct. All right, well, we already know how this one's going to go. Aaron's <laughs> not necessarily. got five and a half points. Serenar tied at one and a half. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you could get all of my questions right. Uh-huh. 
All right, so now I'll go through my questions. Uh, question number one. A incident is mentioned in which polaric energy or a polaric energy accident happened in the Alpha Quadrant. What civilization was responsible for the Chaltok Four incident? I do know this because I have it written down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was Romulan. That is correct. Down on the planet, when they're trying to rescue Tom and Janeway, Harry and Bellana are carrying plastic containers um, of tools and other items. What shape are those containers? Uh, um, and for this, I, w- I will accept I the, mean- the shape of the end of it. Like, they're, a, they're cylindrical, but in what kind it's of... It's like an oct- octagon tube, right? Um, I don't recall this, but since Mega said an octagon, I'm going to say a hexagon. That was a smart move. They are hexagonal. Wow. Because eight size just seems really excessive for a carrying <laughs> container. <laughs> yeah, no, they are hexagonal. Okay, also with the away team trying to rescue their uh, crewmates, they were wearing devices on their arms to repel the subspace fractures. How wide was the repellent radius? Three meters. No idea on this one. <laughs> Megan is correct. It was three meters. Tom and Janeway first appear in the past. There is a guard that ends up talking to them and the boy who uh, screams at them. Toward the end of that scene, we see a lady standing next to the guard holding a gift-wrapped item from one of the stores. What color is the gift wrapping? (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) No idea. Uh, It seems like I, like, have a flash of that in my head, but I'm going to say, like, a dark blue or navy blue or something like that. I'm going to go with burnt orange. To go with their outfits, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, it was metallic green. Oh. Okay, now for question number five. At the beginning of the episode, we have Tom trying to convince Harry to double date with the Delaney sisters. And Harry is trying to weasel his way out of it. Tom says Harry's name repeatedly. How many times does he say it? Gosh. (laughs) Five. I'm going to say three. It was indeed five. Are you talking about like the whole scene or just like one little bit of it? No. In one line, he says, Harry, 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 Harry. Oh, okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. Aaron won again. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You weren't too far behind, though. You had one point less. Yeah. Yeah. So that was our quiz for each of us. Now we are going to have the listener quiz question. This is a question from the episode that we are going to post on social media and you will be able to answer in the comments on those posts. Our question this episode is, the subspace fractures are said to be floating around the room like what kind of object? So we will have multiple choice answers and you will find that on our Twitter, which is at Tribbles Podcast or on our Instagram for Triples and Transporters podcast, and also on our Facebook page and group. 
So if you want to go ahead and answer over there, um, we will uh, write down who got the correct answers from the previous episode. Our last quiz, uh, listener quiz question was from The Naked Now on TNG, and it was related to the setting on the uh, transporter when beaming the away team back. And the correct answer was maximum decontamination. So we had a few people get that answer correct. Over on Instagram, uh, ddev underscore n got the correct answer. On Twitter, uh, Ian Davies, Kenneth Wilson, and the folks from the Green Shirt podcast all got that answer correct. And on Facebook, uh, Mark Brown got the answer correct. All right, guys, we're going to try a picture on this. Let's get everybody one, please. Pictures up. Pictures up. Let's roll sound. Rolling. Rolling. Sound speed. Camera speed. Take two. Mark. And action. All right, so we're going to head into our writer's room and talk about the production details of this episode. We have three writers for this episode. The first one is David Kemper, and he wrote two episodes of TNG, and this is the only episode of Voyager that he wrote. And we have, of course, Michael Piller, who is a very famous name, and he, I believe, was a showrunner on Voyager as well. So he wrote uh, 13 episodes of TNG. He wrote Star Trek Insurrection. And he wrote 100 and, or he has writing credits at least on 173 episodes of Deep Space Nine and 170 of Voyager. But if you're the showrunner, that kind of gives you writing credits on all of the episodes. And he also wrote the Voyager arcade game. And mm-hmm. I have no idea what that is. Yeah. And our third writer is, well, he wasn't the writer, he was the story editor for this episode. And his name was Kenneth Biller. And he wrote the Star Trek The Experience. Klingon encounter in Las Vegas, I believe, is where that was. Mm-hmm. And he also has 46 writing credits on Voyager and 141 as the producer on uh, Voyager as well. So he was one of those writer producers. The initial idea for this episode was kind of modeled after the bombing of Dresden in World War II. And Jerry Taylor talked about that, and she said that the original pitch was, what if you were in Dresden 24 hours before the firebombing and knew it was coming? What would you do? So they kind of based the plot of this episode on that. They also wanted to deliberately make Janeway the center of the story in this episode, where she kind of figured out what was going on and knew what was happening. And they felt that they had not established Cisco very well in Deep Space Nine is kind of like the anchor position on that show. And so what they wanted to do, or at least they hadn't done that in the first season. So what they wanted to do in the first season of Voyager was to establish Janeway as that really anchored character that knew her stuff, knew science, knew what was going on and was very involved and kind of hands-on. And also, you mentioned, I believe, was it Megan that you talked about the relationship of Janeway and Tom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was also very deliberately done. They wanted to further establish the relationship between those two characters, and so that's why they kind of paired them off in this episode. So production-wise, they filmed this. The All of the scenes on the planet 
Outdoors were filmed at the Tillman Water Reclamation Plant, which is a very famous spot for Star Trek. They used it in TNG's first duty as Starfleet Academy, when we see the shots outside with Picard talking to Boothby and walking around the, the grounds with Wesley out there. It was also Starfleet headquarters in Deep Space Nine's home front in Paradise Lost in the later seasons during the Dominion War, and it was used in matte paintings for several episodes of Enterprise, so it's a favorite filming spot for Star Trek along with the Vasquez Rocks out there. And then at Paramount, they filmed on stages 8, 9, and 16, which are the stages that TNG used, so they just kind of took over those sound stages after TNG ended. So the director was Les Landau, and he directed 22 episodes of TNG. And interestingly enough, Aaron, he directed the VCR board game Klingon Challenge. Ah, fondly remember playing that. If you have listened to our podcast going way back towards the <laughs> beginning, we talked about this game. And this is uh, one of Aaron's family games that they used to play back in the day. So... She told a couple stories about that one. Yeah. <laughs> and he also directed 14 Deep Space Nine episodes, nine of Voyager, and one of Enterprise. So he's a really kind of common name. You'll see a lot in the credits on Star Trek. And finally, this episode was released on January 30th, 1995. And it was not released in Europe until kind of mid-1996. And some countries didn't even get it until as late as 1999. So <laughs> they had to wait a while for this one. All right. So going on to the guest stars in our cast this time, uh, we had three main guests that are very prominent in this episode. Uh, the first was Nicholas Sorovi, uh, and he played uh, the main guy heading up the resistance, Pinar McCall. Now he had some crossover with uh, a few of our Star Trek uh, alums. Uh, as far as movies go, his feature film debut was in 1966 in a, a movie called For Pete's Sake. Then in 1985, he appeared in a movie called Stark, which also starred Denise Crosby. He was in the movie Forever Young, which uh, I remember watching that movie and was surprised to find out that it was written by J.J. Abrams uh, oh, wow. in... 1993, he was in a TV movie called Telling Secrets with Andrew Robinson from uh, Deep Space Nine. And then in 2002, he was in a TV movie called The Big Time with John Delancey. Then as far as uh, uh, television shows, uh, in the 90s, he was on L.A. Law, uh, which also saw, uh, starred Diana Muldar. Uh, in 1993, he was in the uh, premiere of a sitcom called Key West, and that also starred Denise Crosby. And then he was in, in 1996, uh, a series called Nowhere Man, which starred Bruce Greenwood, who is Pike in the Calvin movies. But he was best known for having some recurring roles on um, some daytime dramas, uh, particularly All My Children, and one called Ryan's Hope, uh, which starred Kate Mulgrew. So he crossed over with her in this episode as well. Now moving on to uh, the other guy heading up the resistance in this episode, Nye Turla, uh, he was played by Joel Polis, and he 
appeared in a few movies um, in many, many TV series, uh, including some well-known ones such as St. Elsewhere, Home Improvement, Cheers, Law and Order, Seventh Heaven. But he really uh, crossed paths with some Star Trek uh, actors in Boston Legal, which starred William Shatner and also Rene Aubergenois. And then we come to the the young boy in this episode uh, named Latika. He was p- played by a actor named Brady Blum, um, and he is best known as Billy from the Dumb and Dumber movies. And then he appeared in several different TV series called uh, such as Life Goes On and Walker Texas Ranger. But uh, his big um, crossover with other Star Trek uh, actors was when he co-starred in a TV special called In Search of Dr. Seuss, which also starred Patrick Stewart. Uh, But probably the one that I I thought was kind of the most endearing was uh, in three different uh, Winnie the Pooh movies for Disney, he voiced Christopher Robin. Hmm. So those are our uh, guest stars for this episode. I know you're lying. Young man, we're here on a business trip and we have a lot of work to do. The officer told me you came here on the Continental Transport. That's right. We're from Kalto Province. Yeah? Well, I just talked to the transport attendant. He told me four people came today from Kalto. Two of them were a lot older than you, and they had a child with them. Well, the attendant was wrong. That was us. So, where's the child? We ate him. Because we are demons, and we eat children, and I haven't had my supper yet. All right, well, with that, we'll get into the episode discussion, the meat and potatoes of this episode. So, um, the episode opens on the bridge of Voyager. One of the funnier moments of this, I I had to get a couple of little chuckles in with um, Tom trying to convince Harry to go on a double date with him with the Delaney sisters. (laughs) It just reminded me of like one of those 1940s movies, like buddy movies, where they're trying mm-hmm. to like go after the girls, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like the Delaney sisters. <laughs> it just <laughs> yeah. reminded me of that, you know? And then Voyager is rocked by a shock wave, and Kess wakes up from the middle of her sleep in obvious distress. And uh, then we get to the credits of the episode. Yeah, so in this. Um this is the first time, of course, because this is very early in the show, this is the first time the Delaney sisters are mentioned. And they become a reoccurringly mentioned set of characters Yeah, um, <laughs> on the show, but they're only actually on screen for one episode. Yeah. Well, see, now I'm going to look forward to um, seeing the Delaney sisters. I didn't know that they were, I just thought that they were a throwaway mention in this episode. I didn't know that they yeah. actually appeared. Yeah, it it becomes a running gag of like these two must be like the supermodels on Voyager or something because there's so many times we're like, hey, look, it's the Delaney sisters or you know all that kind of stuff just gets mentioned oh as as kind of like a a um, running gag of the the guys are all kind of after them and uh, yeah, I I was actually surprised that they showed up because I thought they were just going to be kind of that those characters that are always mentioned but never shown but they do actually show up in an episode Hmm. I had one thing that kind of struck me about this uh, opening sequence it was the fact that 
Kess is kind of sleeping at an odd time, apparently. Um, Now, whether she just hasn't gotten used to the the ship's schedule or maybe something has her working on an odd shift or something, but it's like you've got the the first shift bridge crew are on duty. Um, Maybe they're just coming to the end of their shift, but still, uh, you know, Tom and Harry are talking about going to dinner and all this kind of stuff. And Kess is sound asleep. Um, So who knows? Maybe she had a rough day, needed to go to bed early. I don't know. Well, not only that, she had a very delayed reaction to what was going on. Because, like, the the ship was shaking for a good, like, two or three seconds before she woke up. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So the shaking didn't wake her up. It was the thing in her head that woke her up. That that was my take on it as well. Mm-hmm. It just seemed weird to me. Mm. Like, why wouldn't you wake up with that much shaking going on? <laughs> yeah. Between that and one of the things that I could not get over that it does get better as the show goes on was her hair piece. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yes. Yeah. Bless it. <laughs> yeah, that's it's not a good wig. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, it seems like that was kind of a running theme of this first season is a lot of the female characters don't have good hair. And also, you know, this is later into the episode, but I I was kind of thinking a lot of the men in this episode down on the planet must have been wearing wigs because they had really low hairlines and all seemed to be like really densely packed in in the center. So Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise the, the aliens look just like humans. So I don't know if that was the, their kind of way of signaling the, the difference between them and humans and just making it really subtle. I don't know. Yeah. That was one thing I did in looking at some of the behind the scenes stuff to, to talk about for this episode that Ken Biller, that Sarah mentioned earlier, really wasn't a fan of how the aliens turned out in this episode because they were too human yeah looking to be distinctive although you can understand because they had to make it so that paris and janeway blend in so they couldn't be too distinctive yeah but a little bit more could have been done to (laughs) (laughs) just and they still could have blended in but yeah i mean i totally i I get it but yeah well I, i feel like there were some shortcuts taken on this episode with some of that stuff i feel like they did not go through super great lengths you know try to spruce up the aliens or maybe it was because i i did read that they spent so much on the set uh you know because they had to make it look both destroyed and put together at the same time Mm. so maybe they spent so much on that that they paid less attention to or didn't have enough to spend on trying to make the aliens look more alien i don't know what it was but they had they cut corners on that, and then also I feel like they didn't do as good of a job as TNG and DS9 did with the Tillman water reclamation plant because mm-hmm. I mean they were literally just out in the street and it just looked like a normal street anywhere you know with the dot with the uh, dashes in the middle yeah <laughs> <and> the curbs <laughs> you know it's just kind of like okay yeah they're just outside. A big building somewhere in LA. Like, mm-hmm. that's what it was. Uh, so, they didn't really go through a lot of great links to kind of make the set look a little bit more alien and less LA, 
you know? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I also noticed being a bird fan, there's totally just an egret that flies be- through the background of one of the shots. Oh, was uh, that a like, bird? I thought that that was like a, a shuttle that they had added, uh, added in or something. No, there's actually a a shot where the camera is above the actors shooting like down and towards them. Um, and there's some water way behind them and an egret totally just like flies down to land in the water. Mm. So I was like, oh, hey. Well, the shot I'm thinking about, we're not there yet, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it's when they were walking outside the power plant. Mm-hmm. And in the background, there was some white thing that like went through the trees. And I at first, I didn't see it until it was almost gone. And yeah. so I thought, oh, that was just a little shuttlecraft or something they added in, but maybe it was a bird. No, that that could be the same. The say it might be yeah. the same shot, or it might be a different shot, but probably on the same day. And you know, a lot of egrets were around. So, all right. So when we come back after the uh, opening credits, um, we have the Voyager crew beaming down to the planet to investigate what happened. This was an M-class planet, and apparently there are there's nobody left. Uh, but there are structures still kind of standing. What's the term that they were used? The polarization? That uh, they figured it's out? like polaric, polaric ions. ions. Oh. Polaric ions. Okay. <laughs> so from what I gather, again, this is a science, uh, Star Trek science that I didn't quite follow completely, but kind of Janeway and Taurus figure out that the polaric ions basically caused a huge explosion in this power plant and killed everybody on the planet. Mm. Is that right? Yes. Well, not necessarily yeah, in the player, yeah. the power plant, but they, they. Oh, because they were all over the place, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they said okay. uh, something happened with polaric ions, and obviously there was a disaster. So the basically, like what the science was, is that the civilization was powered by polaric ion energy, and it's been banned in the Federation because it is such a volatile energy source. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then we cut back up to Voyager and Kess is crying and Neelix is trying to um, calm her down. And she's basically saying that she, when she woke up, she was having these dreams or these visions of all of these people dying on the planet. And she was confused because she didn't know that she had the ability to do this. And, there were stories about her people having these mental abilities in the past, but they weren't exactly believed by a lot of people, although she said that she believed them. She's just, I guess, now discovering this sort of telepath. I don't know what you would call it, sort of like a telepathic ability yeah. that she has. Yeah, sort of extra mental abilities. My one thing with that is the Okampa all lived underground for many, many years and yet Neelix seems to know a lot about them. And I never really understood how Neelix and Kess got connected in the first place and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So it's just kind of weird to me that it's like the Acampo were kind of this secret, but then also people seem to know a lot of stuff about them. So it's very strange that way. Is Kess a liked character or is she one of these that people don't tend to like very much 
Um, she's I no- liked her when yeah. I watched the show. She's nowhere near as disliked as poor Neelix. I, I wouldn't say she's necessarily a really highly favored character. Probably just kind of right in the middle. Hmm. Uh, one thing that did strike me about this, though, was that See, I'm used to TNG where Riker pretty much protests every single time the captain wants to beam down somewhere. Mm. And in this, Chakotay is just like, okay, <laughs> just go ahead. <laughs> go into this potentially dangerous situation. That's fine. You know, um, so he didn't, uh, he obviously, now maybe this is because he was part, he was part of the Maquis and he just doesn't have this sensibility, but a very, very different response uh, to just letting his captain go off and do whatever she wants. Yeah, that's kind of a running thing with with Voyager is, well, and it's kind of a running thing with Star Trek, uh, sending the main crew into all these dangerous situations, um, but it's very much not carried through from TNG of the whole, you know, the captain stays on the ship and the, the first officer goes into the dangerous situation. Okay, so... Uh- but on the planet, they discover a timepiece that has a number on it still, and it shows the number of when the explosion happened, basically. And then while Paris has this in his hand, he starts flipping back and forth between this investigation site and then the investigation site pre-explosion. And so he's in the middle of this square with all of these people still alive, and he's able to see them, and they're able to see him. But uh, Janeway and Bellana kind of figure that out uh, before he completely disappears, and then he and Janeway end up disappearing, and the others are left behind. So on that, so when the set, um, the imaging is flicking back and forth between present and past, so you mentioned earlier about the sets, um, so the actually the budget constraints I think were due just to previous how much they spent on previous episodes. Um, so on this episode, the sets had to actually be reduced to a minimum uh, because of budgetary problems. So the intention was that originally they were going to build two sets of the planet. One was the destroyed set, and one was the um, pre-destruction part and they couldn't do that so they had to get very creative with lighting and smoke (laughs) to be able to do (laughs) scenes between the two uh time periods of the planet and then in the general market scene um that we see there and we'll see a little bit beyond this of paris and and janeway walking around there's actually several set pieces that have been used before in uh star trek so some of the street lamps that are there um, in the background were used on uh, Next Generation on Romulus and uh, Rutia 4. There's also a large wall in the marketplace that looks like a giant door. And so that piece of set was actually the um, secret doorway on the Armagosa Observatory in Star Trek Generations. So they Hmm. repurposed it for that. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I always thought it was interesting there's the one uh, shot where I think it's where Janeway's calling for beam up and then she gets cut off because she's then transported into the, into the past. If, if you really watch that scene, you can kind of see that it's just a lighting effect making that transition, Um, which I'm sure is, it's like probably a very stage, uh, lighting effect as well because i i could see that working for 
you know, really highlighting one character or something on a stage production, but because they've got it so zoomed tight in on her face, it, it does a pretty decent job of of making it seem like she's moved from one place or one time to another. So uh, meanwhile, back on Voyager, they're trying to figure out what exactly happened to Paris and Janeway. And while they're discussing that, Kess is in sickbay getting investigated by the doctor, trying to figure out what happened in her mind. And of course, this was a funny scene. I do like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I do like the doctor. He's got a, a fun sense of humor about yeah. him. Yeah. Another great example of why that character was expounded upon because of Robert Ricardo's acting. Mm-hmm. I'm still not used to the whole EMH thing where he just like comes and goes. You know, I, I'm not used to, oh, yeah, when he's not actually in use, he's not actually there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, in my mind, he's just always hanging out in sick bay, but that's not the case. They actually turn him off, you know, yeah. so that's still something I'm getting used to on this show. In, in later episodes, as it goes a little bit farther into the season, he gets very mad when he isn't turned off. And yeah. he's just stuck in sickbay <laughs> <laughs> with nothing okay. to do. Just be yeah. on and running. Yeah. And it's funny for me as someone who's who frequently watches Voyager episodes, I'm so used to the Doctor being how he is in later episodes where they eventually give him the ability to turn himself on and off. And so I'm used to him just you know popping in and out when he when he wants to or anything and interacting normally with the crew as if he's just another part of the crew so to go back to these early episodes where he's like I, you know he didn't even realize that Kess and Neelix were from the Delta Quadrant and that's why he wouldn't have their uh physiology on file so okay it, so on that Okay. How did he not know that? Because this is, I can get it if this was episode two, but you're four episodes in. How could you not know that you have two aliens that you don't have any info on and a whole ship crew on board? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of seemed odd to me, too. You would think that somebody would have let him in on what was going on. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I guess we're still in that phase where. The crew doesn't really know how to treat him. Like, they kind of expect him to know things the way that they know them because they're around everybody all day, every day. And yet, you know, they don't really think about the fact that, no, when when he's turned off, he's not thinking, he's not doing anything. Like, it's the program is off. Yeah. So anything that's not directly input into his program or directly told to him, you know, he doesn't think to go and just start reading the the crew manifest or going through logs or anything like that. He's just like, when I'm turned on, I do my medical thing and hopefully somebody turns me off when they leave. <laughs> but is his brain tapped into the computer? It is, but it seems to be that he needs to access information if it's not contained within his medical database so i mean later on he eventually starts you know he he knows things or he's able to access the computer and and looked in but 
it seems to be that he tends to use like the terminals and stuff. It's not like he just goes, Oh, let me look that up. And, you know, stares off into space while his, mm-hmm. his yeah. program accesses the computer. So he's it's more like, he's quite literally the emergency medical hologram and anything outside of that. He's got to actually physically do research. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just wondering if, if it, how, how was, mind works like how what it what exactly is it tapped into because obviously it has to be connected to the main computer or some computer on the ship because he's a hologram Mm -hmm. so he doesn't have any internal mechanisms like a chip or something like that in him i'm i mean because he's just light basically yeah yeah you know so it is mentioned later on like one as the writers flush that character out more that it does come into where his program and his memory has expanded so much that he's actually taking up too much space in the ship's computer. So, but that, that comes in in several years, (laughs) several seasons (laughs) into the episode or into the show. So, well, you know, this is the thing that Star Trek does because they did this with data on TNG. If data had to look at information, he actually had to read it on the screen Mm. You know, where I was just kind of like, well, why didn't they just, why didn't he just download this into his brain, you know, and save some time so he doesn't have to actually read it, yeah. you know? So it's just like stuff like that they weren't really thinking about, I guess, back but then. But th- are you asking that because and I, I'm, because of how we've seen Picard and how those holograms on that ship just stand and access data. No, I honestly didn't pay as much attention to that. Okay. Because that's where my brain <laughs> don't went. Really I know like, how this, they work on Picard. This is, this is what they do on Picard. They just stand there and basically going accessing and their eyes flash as they're okay. internally accessing information. Well, see, that would be how I would do it, though, because that makes sense. Right. Yeah, I think there. some of it's explained in later episodes where it's almost like the emh is a contained system yeah it's it's kind of like he has his own box where all of the software and everything Mm. for him is is contained within this module and so he just says he just has access to the medical stuff basically pretty much like he's programmed with certain data and now as new things are taught to him or he accesses new things, he's able to add that to his memory. But it's almost like there's a certain database that is his brain. Um, And if he wants anything outside of that, he has to access the ship's computer uh, just like anybody else does. But I I think one of my favorite thing about this scene though was the fact that the the crew basically just doesn't pay attention to him mm. because we had that in the previous episode too where he kept shrinking and nobody yeah. seemed to care <laughs> you know he just yeah. kept shrinking and shrinking the whole episode and he was an afterthought and it's kind of the same thing here so we're getting the I'm I'm assuming he becomes much more attuned to the rest of the crew as the show goes on. Especially because I know he gets that thing where he can actually leave sickbay. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so he can actually go out and interact with the crew, which I'm sure kind of fixes this problem of them ignoring him all the time. Maybe. I don't know. Well, it, it actually gets fixed before the mobile emitter comes around. Oh, okay. um, is they, they really start. They're, 
at least one episode, if not a couple of episodes where it just really gets into, okay, you're either going to treat me like a program or you're going to treat me like a person. Mm-hmm. And they they have to face that dilemma of, okay, he's really, really essential. So we need to start treating him like, like a person because that's the best way for us to interact with him. Uh, and they start giving him some, some rights and privileges. And before he gets the mobile emitter, he actually ends up getting the ability to send his program to the holodeck. So he's able to interact with the crew in the holodeck and, and that sort of thing. So they, they worked their way up to really expanding the doctor into a real part of the crew. All right, so back on the planet, uh, Janeway and Tom are being stalked by a little kid named <laughs> Latika. And Tom's solution to get rid of him is to basically... Uh, scare him. Scare mm-hmm. him, yeah. 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 <laughs> because the kid thinks that they're demons or something. Mm-hmm. So Tom scares him away, and then they start to... I I got lost here. You guys are going to have to help me. Um, they they look at something, a piece of equipment that I guess has to do with the uh, I forgot what the term is. <laughs> I keep wanting to say choleric ion energy. Yeah, choleric. Okay. Yeah. So, so and then they go to the power plant, right? Yeah. So it was an energy conduit. Okay. That was running through the city that they had discovered on the destroyed part of the planet. So then they just wanted to know where that energy was coming from. Oh, okay, so that's why they went to the power plant. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, they assumed uh, that by s- seeing the uh, the conduits, they thought, okay, there's probably not enough in this conduit alone to cause the global destruction. So we need to look for a larger source of this polar- polaric energy that would be capable of destroying the whole planet. And logically, that's the power plant. Uh, but there was a fight going on. What was... <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking during this. I was, I, You know what I was doing? I was looking at this scene going, yeah, they're... At first, I thought that they were just like on the Paramount lot somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Like at one of the gates of the studio, because it looks like one of the driveways, you know, that goes into like a studio lot. And so I thought... I was just thinking about where they were. Right. I was paying attention to that, and so I had no idea why a fight was going on. Basically, there were protesters there that were okay. protesting the use of polaric energy, saying that, you know, the government's covering up the fact that this is dangerous, and, you know, we they, they were demonstrating against the use of that energy, and they're basically getting too pushy with the guards at the power plant. And then the guards decide to, Mm. you know, push back. Okay. So in this scene, the weapon that the guard fires into the air, um, is an actual weapon. (laughs) So, uh, it, uh, was, um, either a Calico M 950 or Liberty three, nine millimeter pistol. So they were actually guns that we would know today. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I noticed that later on in the, <laughs> in the show too, with what the rebels had, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those Basically, are actual pistols. 
Yeah, basically they just put a sound effect on it and hoped yeah. that we would think it was an alien weapon. Yeah, that was the other thing too. I was like, okay, they took a shortcut on that too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. They had actually P nine. The rebels actually had P nine semi-automatic pistols. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, well, all right, there you go. Yeah, I almost get the feeling that they were trying to do that thing where they're saying this is a pre-warp civilization. It's even pre-space faring. Like they say that there's not even satellites around the, the planet. So they were trying to make something that would register with us as old compared to the, the starships and so they just went with something literally from our time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it kind of got to the point where I thought that the bad guys were like mobsters or something. <laughs> I mean, it's just like they had that kind of vibe going on in that scene with the guns and yeah. this plan that they had to... Actually, I don't even know what their plan was. I didn't follow that at all. Were they against this energy yes. source? Yes. Okay. Yes. And were they trying to blow blow it up? I think they were just trying to disable it or taint it so it was less effective. Because okay. that's actually something that um, you know Janeway assumes that they were going to try and blow it up because she's thinking, oh, an explosion happens, so therefore they caused an explosion. Uh, but he actually says, do you think we're crazy enough to actually yeah. set off an explosion in here? Like, Right. Yeah, so what they were actually doing is not really ever explained. All right, were, I didn't know if I was just being stupid and, and missed that, no, or if no. they actually explained it. Okay. No, I think this is why people like generally like the episode, but think it could have been done better, too. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so anyway, they got caught up, Jamie got injured, but they got arrested, apparently, by is it this who are these guys so these are the protesters they didn't they didn't get arrested just oh, the okay. protesters brought them back with them seeing that you know jane was obviously injured basically they're just in the wrong place at the wrong time <laughs> yeah okay i thought that they had taken them for questioning or something mm -mm. well they kind of don't know what's going on with them because they 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 realize all right you're not actually with our group so why were you there? But clearly you were attacked by the guards, so you weren't on the guards' side. So they're they're trying to figure out who they are, and in order to do that, they brought that back brought them back to their headquarters. They're just the leaders of the rebellion against this uh, form of energy. That have a nice office, apparently. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And then they catch Latika snooping around because he's following Paris and Janeway. Yeah. Which I always thought it was an interesting choice to, with the the look of both Latika and the head of the, the rebellion, McCall, they put them in the same, like their tunics are the same color order. They're both blonde with like the same haircut. So I thought at first that they were kind of implying that they're related, but then obviously they aren't in the way that they're acting. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know whether that just kind of happened and they were like, oh, and I don't know, maybe they didn't even think about 
that somebody might put that together. It may not have been a thought. I mean, just with their costumes and the color palette that was chosen for those costumes, like there's only a combinations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just, especially if, if you have to have that dark Brown black at the bottom, I mean, it's just a finite number. Yeah. It just caught me funny. Like it, it almost looked like, you know, it was a younger version of yeah. right. the the head guy. It was just so close. Yeah, I didn't even pick up on that. Actually, this whole time, I was wondering who the kid was, and I was thinking he was either Dylan or Cole Sprouse. And I don't know if you guys know who that is, but they're twins. They used to play um, Ben on Friends. Okay. And then um, uh, for a few years, a couple of shows on Disney Channel that they did. And they were like the biggest stars for a while back in okay. the um, 2000s, I think. Uh, Aren't they the, the Sweet Life of Zach and Cody? Yeah, yeah. Twins, those guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so I thought it, he he looks very similar to them. So I thought that that's who it was this, <laughs> for most of the episode. But these uh, bad guys slash protesters uh, escort Janeway and Paris to the power plant because they're going to go carry out their plan to do whatever it is that they're going to do. I thought it was hilarious with them walking outside this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Paris and Janeway are trying to have this like secretive conversation and the other guys are like literally two feet behind them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they can hear everything you're saying. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I had the same thought. Especially when you like suspiciously look back at them every few seconds. <laughs> like, you can't hear what we're saying, can you? Yeah. So. <laughs> uh. And uh, so back on Voyager, they're still trying to, I guess, figure out how to get through the subspace uh, flutters flying around. I don't know what you call them. <laughs> fractures. <laughs> fractures. <laughs> subspace fractures. Okay. <laughs> Janeway basically just tells the guards at the gate of the power plant that she's being uh, held hostage and that they're trying to break into the power plant, which... I thought it was a really kind of cool moment. I wasn't mm. expecting her to do that in this, but I guess she thought, well, what else have we got to lose at this point? <laughs> right. So, and then Paris gets shot by one of their incredibly alien looking guns. <laughs> and uh, the bad guys, of course, kill all of the uh, guards and the power plant and they get mm-hmm. in. And then she shows up in the power plant with a weapon somehow. Does she grab them one off of the uh, guards or how does she get that? They I don't- think she did before like it just wasn't visible on the yeah. way they edited it okay. i don't think they showed it but yeah i think that was the the implication at least okay what i thought was funny in this scene was i mean they they make the threat that okay you better play along because you know turl has got a gun on the kid and he'll be the first one to go if you mess this up and then you know, Janeway just blurts out that there's a problem. And then several seconds go by. Yeah. And the kid figures it out and starts running. And then several more seconds go by and, and Turl is like, oh, crap, I was supposed to shoot the kid. Where'd he go? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's he was very, very caught off guard by what Janeway did. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, when's he going to shoot the kid? You yeah. know, and then nothing happens. Yeah. 
And then Paris does this heroic dive. And yeah. Uh, but in the power plant, of course, Shane, we sneaks up on them and she's trying to um, get the, get them to stop, but she doesn't really know what caused the explosion yet. She's just assuming that they're going to do it, as you guys said. Mm. And then all of a sudden, Voyager starts to break through the subspace to try to get to her. And she realizes that it's them as Voyager that causes the explosion, which was cool because I guess I should have seen this coming, but I didn't for whatever reason. (laughs) And I thought, oh, okay, that's kind of a cool way to spin it. You know, Mm. Voyager was actually the one that destroyed the planet. So yeah, so while this had like a lot of that, you know, subspace time rift stuff that Star Trek likes to do, I think that was kind of a unique spin on it that I liked about this episode. Yeah. So I also did think like, poor Paris, he keeps getting in these, they keep getting in these situations where he has to try and understand time issues and his his brain just does not compute it well. (laughs) Although I do have to say that I thought, like it was after when back at the beginning when they're first there in the marketplace and that guy that is selling that timepiece tells him, you know, what these numbers mean mm-hmm. and that he's suddenly able to understand their time. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, I was like, okay, yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> so, like You wouldn't suddenly be able to understand how all of these numbers interact with each other. Yeah. So yeah, I just thought that was interesting. So there's a couple of prop pieces in these scenes that we've been talking about. So the Polaric generator that Bolana carries around and they're using to try to open up the rift to get Paris and Janeway back. It was actually used as an alien field generator in Next Generation's Birthright Part 1. Um, and then, the, for lack of a better term, the bomb um, that the Resistance is using there in the plant. The, the particle injector. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was the same prop used by the Insada terrorist in High Ground. So apparently that's their terrorist uh, plot, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm, prop. So this episode um, in the show is the first of 17 times that Janeway's death is depicted <laughs> over the course of the show. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and the second episode in a row that deals with temporal mechanics. Yeah, that's where I was getting at with poor Paris. Just like, you know, he just just had to try and figure out a a time going backwards, forward, inside out thing. And now he's thrown into another one. Yeah. Well, I was right there with him. Yeah. Uh, this whole time. <laughs> so. Well, of course, we wrap up the episode where um, Janeway is able to stop the subspace I have actually no idea what happens. (laughs) Don't understand this at all. She fires her phaser to stop Voyager from breaking through the subspace fracture, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so that happens, and then we just see a flash of white light, and then everything goes back to normal. Yep. So the disaster of... So what, what caused the explosion on the planet was the crew's attempt to open that subspace fracture wide enough for Paris and Janeway to go through. So the expansion of it was going to get into one of those conduit power conduits and cause the cascade explosion on the planet. So basically it does, still doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Basically she stopped the, the incident from happening, but the incident was what drew them to the planet in the first place. So if the incident never happened, then they didn't go to the planet. <laughs> 
So that whole, it, it's, it's like a, a timeline shift. So there's the timeline where Voyager goes to the planet because it got destroyed. And then there's the timeline where it didn't get destroyed. Um, and so they just kind of get pushed back into the timeline where the planet didn't get destroyed. I don't know that that helped. At all. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I understand what you're trying to say. Like, yeah. I get that. Okay. I'm just, I'm just thinking, well, they're in this other universe fracture subspace, whatever. Yeah. If she seals that off and just stops it, like in my head, she's stuck there. No, then she was never on the planet in the first place. Yeah. Welcome to time travel. <laughs> this is it's why I don't so have discussions stubborn. with my mom about these episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically the whole thing of what happens if you go back and kill your father before you were born. Do you just cease to exist? Yeah. You know, it's like, so yeah, it's one of those, like, how do you stop the disaster from happening if you were never there in the first place because the disaster didn't happen. My my thing is, I guess, I feel like that there has to be like some sort of intelligence with the whole time travel thing because how would it know to put them back at the beginning of the episode as if none of this... It just seems like something that wouldn't just fix itself automatically, mm. you know? I, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> this is like advanced Einstein physics... Stuff yeah, right here. My only problem with that sort of ending to this episode is how and why then does Kess still have the the vision right. of the planet being destroyed? Yep. Mm -hmm. Because if at the beginning of the episode we have her dream or vision of that happening was in response to the shockwave passing through them. Mm -hmm. So to me, it was the shockwave that brought that to her. But mm -hmm. if the shockwave didn't happen, why did she then still have that vision? To me, that was kind of something that, like they knew they wanted to have that moment of Kess coming up to the bridge and, and asking to see the planet. But the only way they could get there was by having her still have the vision. And they just didn't really, they didn't think about, or they just said, uh, it's, it's time weirdness, so we'll just do it anyway. <laughs> Maybe it was like an echo from the previous timeline or something that yeah. she was still having. It makes about as much sense as the whole time subspace fracture thing to me. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that was our discussion on Time and Again. Uh, like I said, it's an episode that I look back on fondly and uh, really enjoyed getting to talk about it and getting to watch it really in depth again. So I'd like to hear what you have to say on this episode or on Voyager as a whole or any of our, our other topics that we've covered. The way that you can get in touch with us best is on our social media. So we have Twitter, which is at Tribbles Podcast. Then on Instagram, we have the Tribbles and Transporters uh, Instagram page. Uh, we also have uh, Facebook, both a page and a group on there uh, so that you can interact with us that way. 
And uh, if you want to get in touch with us directly, we do have a uh, Gmail, which is triplesandtransporters at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing uh, any comments that you have, and uh, we will uh, be looking for the answers to the listener question as well, which will be posted on those uh, on those sites. Yep, and you can find the links to all of that stuff in the episode description. Next up, we have Terra Nova from Enterprise. All right, so we hope that you are looking forward to Enterprise next time with us as well. And also, if you'd like to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or one of the other apps, we certainly appreciate that. So that's it. We're done. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.